Welcome to the Deep Roots at Home podcast. For those of you new here, the Deep Roots at Home website was founded by Jackie in 2011. As a retired RN, longtime homeschooler, past Lyme sufferer with a love of preventative natural medicinals, Jackie has encouraged women for years now. Our desire is to spread truth and important information during these recent deceptive times, as well as the practicals of homemaking and all things beautiful. Whether you are listening in the car, while you're making dinner for your children, or sitting with a relaxing cup of tea, welcome to the podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the flu, specifically whether or not you should get the flu vaccine. We're also going to be asking the question, if you do get the flu, should you take Tamiflu? So stay tuned. And welcome to another episode of the Deep Roots at Home podcast. I'm your host, Abby Grace, and today we're going to be pulling from several different articles from Jackie's blog. To begin with, seven solid reasons to say no to the flu or Tdap shot, especially if you are pregnant. In the early 90s, with the help of high-tech surgery, I learned I was finally going to become a mom. I instinctively knew I needed to be careful when I was pregnant, especially during the first two trimesters when the brain and major organ systems of the baby developed the very fastest. Moms-to-be in my generation were simply told to take extra folic acid in their multivitamins and eat nutritious food, but also they were told to avoid anything that could harm the developing baby, like cigarettes, alcohol, medications, cleaning products, radiation, and other toxic exposures. We signed up for Lamaze classes to prepare for a drug-free birth, which many obstetricians discouraged. Many of us chose to breastfeed, even though most pediatricians were pushing formula and bottles back then. Today, pregnant moms face a different set of questions and choices. Among them are whether or not to get vaccinations while pregnant, that public health officials and pediatricians say will protect pregnant women and their newborns from getting sick with influenza and B. pertussis whooping cough. When a doctor recommends a certain prenatal treatment, such as the flu or Tdap shot, at first glance, it seems logical that most pregnant patients will trust their doctor's advice, assuming the shot has been proven safe and won't in any way harm the baby. Sadly, giving special care to the mom and developing baby is not the norm anymore. We must protect our pregnant moms and babies. Parents are often told they themselves need the pertussis vaccine to protect their baby from whooping cough once they go home, but many actually are spreading the infection to their children. And if you go to the website, you will see a video of a quote-unquote distinguished UCLA professor admit that pertussis-vaccinated people actually contract and spread whooping cough. There's a study by the Boston University School of Public Health that states the resurgence of whooping cough may be due to the vaccine's inability to prevent infections, yet the CDC persists in recommending that pregnant women receive the ineffective Tdap shot at 20 weeks of pregnancy. The Tdap combines the diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis whooping cough vaccines into a single toxin-laden shot. So now let's get back to not only the Tdap, but the influenza. 
Here are some solid reasons to say no if you are pregnant. Fact, pertussis-containing vaccines are the most compensated claims in the Federal Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Fact, drug companies did not test the safety and effectiveness of giving influenza or Tdap vaccine to pregnant women before the vaccines were licensed in the U.S. Fact, there's almost no data on inflammatory or other biological responses to these vaccines that could affect pregnancy and birth outcomes. Fact, the FDA lists flu and Tdap vaccines as either pregnancy category B or C biologicals, which means that testing has not been done in humans to determine whether the vaccines can cause fetal harm or affect reproduction capacity. They warned that the influenza and Tdap vaccines should be given to pregnant women only if clearly needed. Fact, the CDC's recommendation that doctors give every pregnant woman a Tdap vaccination during every pregnancy is an off-label use of the vaccine. Fact, infant and maternal mortality rates high in America. They are more than three times the risk of pregnancy-related deaths than three decades ago. Fact, health in the U.S. is on such a steep decline, and you can find these links again on the website. The child disability rate has jumped 16% over the past decade. Fact, findings show that a counterintuitive relationship between the nations that require more vaccine doses have higher infant mortality rates. Have you felt pressured? If an obstetrician or pediatrician pressures you to get vaccinated while you are pregnant, ask the doctor to show you the science. If you're threatened or sanctioned in any way for making an informed choice, you should find another doctor who will treat you with respect and honor your healthcare choices. Finally, those trying to teach about vaccine dangers have only one motivation, to prevent more suffering. We've either witnessed it firsthand in our own family or we know those who have. All those years ago, it wasn't too late for me to change my mind when I saw what it did to our first child. And it's not for, too late for you to change your mind either. But now you might ask yourself, is it safe for me to take the flu shot if I'm not pregnant? Well, let's read next from Jackie's article, National Academy of Sciences, Flu Vaccine Recipients Are Shedding More Flu Virus. According to new research, the findings showed that those individuals who had received the flu vaccine are shedding 6.3 times more virus than the unvaccinated. That is most likely to the answer to why more people were sick in the winter of 2017 and 2018 and dying from the flu. And Jackie is not making this stuff up. The most recent research from the National Academy of Sciences shows evidence of four different things. One, that the vaccinated are shedding spreading more virus simply by breathing. Two, that prior vaccination has weakened the immune systems of those who got the shot. Three, that individuals who receive the flu vaccine are placing others around them at greater risk than the unvaccinated. Four, the vaccine does not protect one from infection. Election to membership in the National Academy of Sciences is considered one of the highest honors that a scientist can receive. NAS is one of the world's most cited and comprehensive multidisciplinary scientific journals, publishing more than 3,200 research papers annually. The journal's content spans the biological, physical, and social sciences 
and is global in scope. In case you doubt the veracity of this research, nearly 500 members of the NAS have won Nobel Prizes, and the National Academy of Sciences, founded in 1914, is today one of the premier international journals publishing the results of original research. The, the research even showed that sneezing is rare and not important for spreading of the virus, and even coughing is not required. Quote, self-reported vaccination for the current season was associated with a trend towards higher viral shedding in fine aerosol samples. Vaccination with both the current and previous year's seasonal vaccines, however, was significantly associated with greater fine aerosol shedding in unadjusted and adjusted models. In adjusted models, we observed 6.3 times more aerosol shedding among cases with vaccination in the current and previous season compared with having no vaccination in those previous two seasons. The association of current and prior year vaccination with increased shedding of influenza A might lead one to speculate that certain types of prior immunity promote lung inflammation, airway closure, and aerosol generation. This first observation of the phenomenon needs confirmation. If confirmed, this observation together with recent literature suggests reduced protection with annual vaccination would have implications for influenza vaccination recommendations and policies. So the injectable flu vaccine does not shed in the sense that the vaccinated person spreads the virus from the vaccine because it contains a killed virus. The live virus vaccine can shed, though. This article does not discuss that topic. Those vaccinated when infected with the flu shed or spread more of the naturally acquired viral infection because they are getting the flu after being vaccinated. So they're not actually shedding from the vaccine, but it's because they're getting the flu from being vaccinated. Again, as the study notes, this first observation of the phenomenon needs confirmation. It may be that it lowers their immunity to a degree that they then contract another strain. There are many strains of flu going around and transmit it. Are you thinking of getting the flu shot? Fact, higher viral shedding. Those flu vaccinated were breathing out more flu virus and are spreading it more than the unvaccinated. So when health authorities like the CDC promote the vaccine by saying things like, the vaccine protects you and those around you, everyone needs the vaccine because of herd immunity, or you have to get the vaccine to protect the elderly, the very young, and the weakened cancer patients, would they be telling you the opposite of the truth? Could they be? Fact, there's 6.3 times more aerosol shedding. Those vaccinated were spreading more flu virus into the air around them simply by breathing as compared to those who hadn't received the flu vaccine that year and or the flu vaccine from the previous year. Fact, those vaccinated pose a greater risk to the elderly, the very young and immune compromised cancer patients and that the unvaccinated spread the disease less and protect others better. Thus, the vaccine does the exact opposite of what people have been told and explains why we are seeing more and more people get sick earlier more each year and more people die from the flu. Fact, reduced protection with annual vaccination. The flu vaccine weakens a person's immunity against infectious illness. This fact has been shown with multiple studies on children 
Vaccinated versus unvaccinated children, guess who is healthier, is an article on Jackie's, web, Jackie's blog that I would suggest you take a look at. And listen to this particularly disturbing study. Effectiveness of trivalent inactivated influenza vaccine in influenza-related hospitalization in children. A case-controlled study found that children receiving the annual flu vaccine had a threefold increased risk of hospitalization. Fact, prior immunity promotes lung inflammation. Dr. Dale Brown, the wild doc, explains it this way. Now, I wanted to explain this part so people wouldn't be misled. Immunity and vaccination are not synonymous. In fact, this study provides the very evidence to prove that vaccinations like the influenza vaccine don't provide immunity, hence the vaccinated being infected and spread it more. The correct wording should have read that prior vaccinations promote lung inflammation. As this fact has been shown in animal studies, this means that when you receive a flu vaccine, the lungs are damaged. Hence the scientific term or phrase, vaccine-associated enhanced respiratory disease, which in animal studies have shown that flu vaccinations damage lung tissue of the vaccinated and distort or weaken the natural immunity of the host, person, or animal. Could this just be one more reason more people are developing severe lung diseases like COPD or why the rate of asthma in America is increasing in the vaccinated? This is just so interesting for us medical geeks. And wait, vaccinating against the flu to protect elderly and others is shown not to be effective. A 2016 review of all published research on flu vaccination of the people working with some of the most vulnerable among us, nursing home residents, found that there was no protective effect of, vac- of flu vaccines. In short, the claim that vaccinating yourself against flu protects others from the flu is contraindicated by the evidence. And to clarify up above, when I said the injectable flu vaccine does not shed and that it is actually from getting the flu that it is spread, that is speaking of the killed virus. We are not talking in this uh, article about the live virus vaccine. That for sure does shed, although this article does not discuss that topic. And here is another quote from the 2016 review of all the of the published research on flu vaccination of the people working in nursing homes and other areas of vulnerability. Our review findings have not identified conclusive evidence of benefit of healthcare workers, vaccination programs on specific outcomes of laboratory proven influenza. Its complications, lower respiratory tract infection, hospitalization, or death due to lower respiratory tract illness, or all, co- or all cause mortality in people over the age of 60 who live in care institutions. This review does not provide reasonable evidence to support the vaccination of healthcare workers to prevent influenza in those aged 60 years or older residents in long-term care institutions. What can we do to protect ourselves? Elderberry is protective against the flu, and it's also for the immunocompromise. Elderberry can protect against the avian flu, influenza A and B, it prevents the H1N1 virus, the swine flu pandemic strain, and the H9N2 subtype, which is high on the list of candidates for the next pandemic. When it 
it comes to vaccines, most mothers and fathers want to know facts, not others' opinions. Jackie wished she had known more facts when she went in for her first well-baby visit. Because Jackie strongly promotes parental choice, she felt led to write a short treatise with personal facts. This vaccination ebook is pretty concise to allow you, the parent, to read, research into the studies she shares, and come up with your own decisions. Jackie's sincere desire is that you and your children thrive, and so she presents to you the vaccination ebook free of charge. Simply go to deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. This article is on Jackie's blog called A Pentagon Study Says Flu Shots Increase Risk of COVID by 36%. On March 12, 2020, Anderson Cooper and Dr. Sanye Gupta held a global town hall on corona facts and fears. During the discussion, Anderson said to the viewing audience, and again, if you're concerned about coronavirus and you haven't gotten a flu shot, you should get a flu shot. Setting safety and efficacy of influenza vaccinations aside, is Anderson's claim that the flu shot will help people fight COVID-19 remotely true? The short answer is no. In fact, the results of many peer-reviewed published studies prove that Anderson's recommendation may be the worst advice he could have given the public. In searching the literature, the only study we've been able to find assessing flu shots and coronavirus is a 2020 U.S. Pentagon study that found the flu shot increases the risk from coronavirus by 36%. Receiving influenza vaccination may increase the risk of other respiratory viruses, a phenomenon known as virus interference. Vaccine-derived virus interference was significantly associated with coronavirus. Here are the findings. There was a 2020 Pentagon study. Flu vaccines increased the risk of coronavirus by 36%. Examining non-influenza viruses specifically, the odds of coronavirus in vaccinated individuals were significantly higher when compared to unvaccinated individuals with an odds ratio association between an exposure and an outcome of 1.36. In other words, the Pentagon study showed vaccination, vaccinated were 36% more likely to get coronavirus. Many other studies suggest the increased risk of viral respiratory infections from the flu shot. A 2018 CDC study says the flu shots increase the risk of non-flu acute respiratory illnesses in children. It was an increased risk of acute respiratory illnesses among children 18 years or younger caused by non-influenza respiratory pathogens post-influenza vaccination compared to unvaccinated children during the same period. A 2011 Australian study shows the flu shot doubled the risk of non-influenza viral infections and increased flu risk by 73%. A 2012 Hong Kong study shows flu shots increase the risks of non-flu respiratory infections 4.4 times and tripled flu infections. This was a randomized placebo-controlled trial in Hong Kong, and this found that flu shots increased the risk of non-influenza viral ARIs five-fold, and including influenza, tripled this overall risk. A 2017 study, vaccinated children are 5.9 times more likely to suffer pneumonia and 30.1 times more likely to have been diagnosed 
with allergic rhinitis than unvaccinated children. Lastly, the highly respected Cochrane's Collaboration's comprehensive 2010 meta-study of public flu vaccine studies showed that the flu vaccination had no effect on lowering hospitalization and that there is no evidence that vaccines prevent viral transmission or complications. The Cochrane researchers accused the CDC of deliberately misrepresenting the science in order to support their universal influenza vaccination recommendations. Nevertheless, media outlets continually broadcast CDC pronouncements and ironically ridicule those who actually read the science as purveyors of vaccine misinformation. It's shocking that millions have gotten the flu shot to their great detriment since the Pentagon study was published in March of 2020. There's an utter disregard for life in the push for greater and greater pharma profits. Consider sharing so more will not get this one shot this fall or this winter. It literally could lower the death rate if this info was commonly understood. It's no secret that Jackie absolutely loves TRS. Here is another fantastic testimony. Our three-year-old has been so much more affectionate and loving. She's autistic and has sensory issues, so her tendency has always been to go off by herself to play, and she would actively avoid social and physical contact. Being incredibly sensitive can be so isolating. I'm delighted to report that after six months of TRS, she's so much more sociable and affectionate. It's astounding. She initiates cuddles, welcomes kisses, hugs her big sister, likes hanging out with her little brother, asks grandma to pick her up, and makes sure she's in the company of family regardless of what she's doing. She wakes up every morning with a huge grin, ready to have fun and play. We are so grateful to see our little girl blossoming and joining the world, wanting connection and affection, making eye contact and sharing laughter. Thank you, TRS. For more information, please go to www.deeprootsathomes.com forward slash TRS. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash TRS. Article is titled 22,000 U.S. Nurses Refuse Flu Vaccines at the Expensive Career. Some nurses are very unhappy about what they see as these coercive tactics to force annual flu vaccines on them. As a longtime RN, who was thankfully spared this, I agree. You, wish, you should be aware of how our medical rights are being trampled so we can be on guard. If you're a nurse employed today in the U.S. and you refuse the annual mandatory flu vaccine, the CDC admits they are approximately 37% effective due to rapid mutations then you have to wear a face mask while on duty. Multiple studies have also shown that flu vaccines are ineffective and do not offer any extra protection for hospital patients, as we've just talked about. Yet hospitals are basically coercing and shaming nurses into getting the influenza vaccine if they choose not to take it. Everyone knows that wearing a mask or a little sticker on a tag, a name tag means I don't have my vaccine. That was at least pre-COVID. Here is the science to why the flu shot is ineffective. It has to do with the fact that it is being grown on eggs. And if you go to uh, ssrichardmontgomery.com forward slash download forward slash fluinfo.pdf, you will see a structural explanation for the low effectiveness of the seasonal influenza H3N2 vaccine. The link for that is also on Jackie's blog. So why the big push for flu vaccines? 
Publicly available information now shows that hospital systems are required to have a 90% or higher flu shot reception rate among their staff, or they lose up to 2% of their funding of medical, of Medicare or Medicaid. Let me say that again. It is the hospitals are required to have a 90% or higher flu shot reception rate among their staff, or they lose up to 2% of their funding of Medicare and Medicaid. Isn't this clear-cut conflict of interest? This is driven by money. Take your pick, flu vaccines or career. Circle of Docs reports nurses are choosing to lose their jobs instead of being forced into receiving a vaccine. Others are fighting back by suing the hospital state and federal governments for $100 million for trying to take away their constitutional rights. For example, Driana Breton, a registered nurse in Pennsylvania, lost her job recently due to refusing the vaccine based on medical reasons. She was pregnant and she had a history of miscarriages. Her doctor advised her to not get the flu vaccine, but her hospital refused her exemption and fired her. Nurse Journal gives views for and against mandatory flu shots. There is a helpful article there called, Should Nurses Be Forced to Get Flu Shots? Dr. Karen Sullivan Seibert, herself a pro-vaccine doctor, wrote an opinion piece explaining how requiring nurses to wear masks for refusing the flu vaccination violates HIPAA laws for patient privacy. More importantly, it forces the medical front lines in the healthcare industry to take a concoction with numerous questionable ingredients, including known neurotoxins like aluminum, foreign proteins derived from GM ingredients, and more. There are, in fact, more than 22,000 nurses, part of Nurses Against Mandatory Vaccines, NAMV, who are refusing mandatory flu vaccines. NAMV was founded when mandatory vaccines were introduced in the workplace. And though it is not pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, it certainly is pro-choice. NAMV members believe that all people should have the right to choose and refuse medical treatment, including nurses and healthcare workers. Healthcare workers are now faced being fired if they refuse a flu vaccine. Not only is this a human rights violation, it's also an equal employment opportunity violation. Furthermore, skewed figures which show about 30,000 people die from the flu every year, are used to muddy the waters. This is only an estimation, with pneumonia and other diseases lumped in together with the flu. What's more, the most vulnerable victims are infants and the elderly. To put this into proper perspective, medical mistakes are the third leading cause of death in the U.S. after heart disease and cancer. Nurses Against Mandatory Vaccines argues that though it has been suggested that mandatory vaccines are for patient safety. Mandatory flu vaccine policies are to provide more funding and money for the vaccine companies who produce these drugs. Flu vaccines are argued to are arguably to be just another money train for big pharma. A 2016 John Hopkins study claims more than 250,000 people and as high as 440,000 in the U.S. die every year from medical errors. It's refreshing to see that nurses and other healthcare workers are standing up against forced vaccines, but the pressures to increasingly strip away personal rights is well underway. Sadly, there have been introductions across the United States to mandate not only the flu vaccine, but many other vaccines as well. Now, 
The COVID-19 vaccine is the next fight. It is also being rolled out, and as we know, healthcare workers are having reactions within minutes of receiving their shots, and many, many nurses are losing their job because they are refusing the COVID-19 vaccine as well. And our last article is about Tamiflu, adults and kids at risk for neuropsychiatric and behavior disturbance. Awareness is key, and it's important to know the risks versus the benefits. When a pill may only reduce symptoms by a couple of days, is it worth a risk to a psychotic episode? Tamiflu is a prescription drug that claims it can reduce the chance of getting the flu or treat people with the flu if their symptoms started within the last two days. When investigating this, I read numerous comments as to what follows. People just can't make this stuff up. My cousin in Atlanta just took this medication a week ago for flu symptoms and has been hallucinating ever since. He never acted this way before. He's currently in a psychiatric hospital seeking treatment. We are all heartbroken. He was okay before taking the medication. That was Amika. My daughter just turned five, is hospitalized right now because of psychotic episodes and insomnia because of using Tamiflu for only two days. We've done an MRI and spinal tap because doctors believe it may have caused encephalitis. She's not been normal since taking the medicine. That was Christy. I've been on Tamiflu for four days, and I've been a raging lunatic. Tonight I wanted to kill myself, and I started to research the drug and found out it must be what's going on. I've never been suicidal before. How do we get this drug off the shelves? That was a 54-year-old man. So then Jackie started to dig and found out about the terrible truth. Here's what you need to know about the Tamiflu fiasco. Tamiflu was approved by the FDA in 1999. It was a randomized controlled trial. Pointed, it pointed to its effectiveness and safety. The majority were funded by Roche, which also marketed and promoted this drug. In 2005 to 2009, Tamiflu was stockpiled worldwide due to looming fear of pandemic flu. But then serious adverse effects especially neuropsychiatrical effects associated with Tamiflu, started getting reported. A recent respected Cochrane review has now questioned the risk-benefit ratio of the drug and raised doubts about the regulatory decision of approving it. The recommendations for stockpiling have been questioned. It is important to know the risks and benefits of this drug before you make a decision to take it or more so to give it to your child. Here are small excerpts from the scientific PubMed article, The Tamiflu Fiasco and the Lessons Learned. So read this and listen and study for yourself. Exhibit 1. Serious adverse effects were first reported during post-marketing surveillance from Japan, UK, and other places, although most of the published articles did not report them. A recent Cochrane review and a series of articles in British Medical Journal has revealed the truth behind the Tamiflu success story, which incidentally is one of the highest revenue earners for Rocher. It is inexplicable that despite the lack of scientifically robust data on efficacy and safety of this drug, reputed organizations like the WHO, CDC, FDA not only recommend the drug in question for treatment and pro prophylaxis of influenza, but its stockpiling as well. Exhibit 2. There was no mention of adverse effects associated with the use of this drug in the published, in the published trials. Tamiflu post-marketing surveillance uncovered serious adverse effects like raised liver enzymes, 
hepatitis, neuropsychiatric events, cardiac arrhythmia, skin hypersensitivity reactions, including toxic epidermal necrolysis, Stevens-Johnson syndrome, and arrhythmia multiform, metabolic side effects, and renal events. In some cases, increased QTC prolongation was seen in ECG in the treatment group compared with placebo during on-treatment periods. The most important severe adverse events which raised concerns were neuropsychiatric events such as depressed mood, behavioral disturbances, panic attacks, suicidal ideation, delusions, delirium, convulsion, and cephalitis. These were reported more frequently in children than in adults and generally occurred within 48 hours of drug intake. Exhibit 3. The conclusion reads like a novel, quote, A cocktail of pandemic panic, publicity propaganda, and scientific misconduct turned a new medicine with only modest efficacy into a blockbuster. It appears that the multiple regulatory checks and balances gave way as science lost its primacy and pharmaceutical enterprise lost no time in making the most of it. This reminds me of one of Professor R.P. Fenyon's statements after the Challenger space shuttle's disaster. He said, reality must take precedence over public relations as nature can't be fooled. Exhibit four. The ad for Tamiflu says people, particularly adolescents and children may be at risk for seizures, confusion, or abnormal behavior. It goes on to say that these events are uncommon but may lead to accidental injury. They add their advice that, that you should contact a healthcare professional right away if any unusual behavior is noticed. And basically, they're telling the consumer in the most subtle way that ad adverse side effects are possible while on their drug, but they're hoping the consumer won't read between the lines and figure out how serious that could be. Also, horror exhibit number five, the ad does not give you any clear information on side effects so that the consumer can make an informed decision. It doesn't tell you that the Japanese health authorities started investigations of Tamiflu after 18 juvenile fatalities linked to the drug occurred in 17 months. A teenager jumped 11 stories to his death while he was on the drug. Two weeks earlier, a 14-year-old girl jumped to her death from her apartment building in central Japan. A 17-year-old boy took Tamiflu before bed and got up, walking out of his house and stood in front of an oncoming truck while smiling. Any parent would want to know this kind of information, but it's not in the advertisement. And Exhibit 6. Also in question is the effectiveness of Tamiflu. When considering taking a drug, one always needs to decide if the benefits outweigh the side effects or the risks. In the case of Tamiflu, there is no science that it actually works. It can reduce symptoms by 36 hours, but it's completely ineffective after a few doses. And shockingly enough, it commonly causes the flu symptoms that it's attempting to treat, such as nausea, diarrhea, headache, dizziness, fatigue, and cough. Bottom line, do your due diligence and research and make up your own mind, especially before giving this to your child. When you have to take a drug for a medical condition, that's one thing, but Tamiflu is not one of those times. There are plenty of effective no side effect alternatives available that work like a champ, such as my elderberry syrup and my vodka-based tincture. I will put the links to these in the show notes below. Jackie's hope is that everyone can at least have an informed choice. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. 
And lastly, if you have had the flu shot and you regret that, there are ways to cleanse your body of these toxins out. Jackie's favorite way is through using a product called TRS. And you can find out more about TRS by following the link in the show notes. In these troubling times, it's no secret that we are being censored. It's getting harder and harder to spread the truth. Facebook is throttling us, and we don't know how much longer we will be there. Here are a few things you can do to stay in touch with Deep Roots at Home. Firstly, sign up for our newsletter. Jackie sends out exclusive, important content to her readers. The link will be in the show notes. Number two, consider making Deep Roots at Home your homepage in your browser. Number three, print your favorite Deep Roots at Home articles and place them in a binder to have on hand in case of emergency. And finally, follow us on other social media channels. We are now on Telegram and Gab and soon Truth Social. Jackie's greatest desire is that God would be glorified through these dark times. Thanks for joining us on the Deep Roots at Home podcast. We pray it has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord and as you serve your family. Could you do us a favor? If this has blessed you, could you help us spread the word by liking and sharing this podcast with your friends? And don't forget, we have lots of great links in the show notes that go along with today's podcast. See you next time.